Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I think we had about $130 million on the way to employees of our clients. This was more than 50,000 people. They are not like you know, rich Silicon Valley tech workers. It's everyday Americans making less than 55K a year. Some of them are living paycheck to paycheck. And so missing a paycheck can have devastating consequences. We had to move really quickly to make sure these folks got paid. Basically, no matter what happened with SVB, those were the stakes. It's like people that critically needed money just wouldn't get it otherwise. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. This episode is about leadership, communication, and extraordinary effort in the face of crisis. Albert Strassheim, CTO and SVP of engineering at Rippling, joins us to share the riveting story behind how Rippling's leadership navigated the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. We talk about the extraordinary stakes the hundreds of millions of dollars of people's paychecks, how Rippling's core values influenced critical decision-making fast, tips for communicating with clarity internally with your team and externally to your key stakeholders and customers during a crisis, tactics to respond with precision during crisis. Plus, we get into the pre-crisis strategies, the habits and systems Albert's most thankful for that enabled a successful outcome for Rippling during the bank collapse. Let me introduce you to Albert. Albert leads Rippling's global engineering team, expanding the capabilities of their product and platform. And prior to Rippling, Albert served as VP of engineering at Segment, where he spent more than five years building and leading the infrastructure and product teams responsible for creating Segment's market-leading customer data platform product. This is one of those stories that had me on the absolute edge of my seat. The stakes, the extraordinary effort to support people, the extraordinary effort from so many different people, the precise communication, and even more precise execution under this intense duress. It's an incredible story. Enjoy this wild ride of a conversation with Albert Strassheim. To begin, first off, Albert, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I was going to ask you, you know, how was your weekend? Um, but I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I was <laughs> chatting to the team earlier today and you know, I told them, hey, folks, let's pause for like 60 seconds and just reflect on the last 168 hours of our lives and everything we did during that time. And it honestly feels like me personally, but also the team uh, I work with at Rippling has just like lived an entire year in 168 hours. So, yeah, it's been a Interesting weekend, interesting week. Uh, luckily, things are calming down now. So, yeah. You know, we had a lot of things planned for what this conversation was supposed to be before the weekend happened. Like for people listening in, like we were going to talk about scaling your leadership and running an engineering org at a larger scale. And then Silicon Valley Bank happened. And so you were very much caught up in the middle of this storm. So we're going to talk about that. 
what a powerful leadership moment just to have that pause and acknowledge everything the team did in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think in a situation like this, you know, folks are rushing. It's, uh, you know, overwhelming. It's stressful. There's a lot of pressure, you know, but you, you have to pause sometimes. And I think the, you know, my impression was the team really appreciated that. We did a big uh, kind of like shout out uh, session to the, you know, large chunk of the company that helped us uh, or worked together to get through the whole Silicon Valley bank fiasco uh, yesterday at an all hands as well you know it really feels like it ties the team together good to appreciate the incredible hard work there were definitely engineers support folks you know across the company that worked 100 hour weeks you know 20 hour days in that 168 hours so yeah you really want to appreciate them when you have a, a moment as you mentioned that journey i was just happened to read an article on the ink magazine talking about um, brancheski and about leadership insights and one of them being airbnb had a that moment when the pandemic happened and the focus uh, of that article is about changing the psychology uh, of the leaders uh, which reflect on psychology for the team and instead of seeing asking about why us it's really watch us and this is the funny moment i think that's is actually what happened for ripley yeah that's uh, that definitely resonates i think it's kind of like huge kudos to parker our ceo actually like in the initial moments you know as we were working on moving ourselves over from svb to jp morgan you know thursday friday the behavior he models you know number one is like urgency right he made it clear to the entire team that like nothing else mattered and this was you know the p0 the, the top priority for the business and i think the other thing he did really well was communicate extensively throughout the entire weekend and, and like into this past week and again that you know really was what the rest of the leadership team and individual engineers ultimately seized on right this is like thousands and thousands and thousands of slack messages as we were working with the jpm team hundreds and hundreds of emails you know zooms three four times a day and you know a lot of that came from this kind of like urgency and need to communicate extensively that Parker modeled for everybody at the company. So yeah, a powerful idea. And I received that from the other side because we are banking with SVB and also using Rippling. So the uh, how the whole situation was handled was uh, really, really impressive. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. I mean, you start uh, an incident like this and you're like, oh man, you know, you think about the customers, right? The impact and there is basically nothing more urgent and important for us than payroll. And so when payroll isn't working, you know, whether it's our fault or whether it's a bank that has disappeared from underneath us like we take that incredibly seriously because you know we know how serious it is for folks on the the receiving side right and so knowing that you you felt well supported is is really encouraging to hear and to be clear too we tried our very best this may be one of the best like all out you know communications like customer engagement efforts i've seen in my career glad the results translated So we've got three interesting perspectives here. You, of course, in the center of the storm. We've got Jerry kind of also in this like customer lens and being able to experience that way. And then sort of me in in like the panicked, I I probably would label myself as like the panicked Twitter viewer of like only externally viewing it from there. The fun part about this conversation is we're going to, we're going to deconstruct this incident a little bit from your perspective. And Jerry and I may throw in some, some of the, our reactions from in the moment when we were seeing these things externally. And I think the goal is to pull out some of the, the insights around leadership and like the operational insights and leadership insights around what happened here. So with that, Albert, we've been talking about this incident, bring us into this situation from your perspective and from Rippling's perspective, like take us all the way back to Thursday and what happened? 
and I think maybe rewinding even back a little bit further just for like context on payroll, right? Is like, so we move a lot of money for, you know, from our clients to their employees on a, a big pay run for us is many hundreds of millions of dollars mid-month or end of the month. And generally how those funds make it to our bank account, you know, where they're only held for a short period of time is like over the ACH network will essentially debit the company accounts. And that actually happens many days prior to when payroll is actually paid out, right? So to some extent, some of the excitement starts on Monday, right? Silicon Valley Bank is still, you know, functioning well. Uh, you know, we're in touch with the folks over there. I've built a strong relationship with them. You know, every night we debit customers' accounts, the money like settles in our account a few days later, and then we, you know, pay out employees of the customer companies from there. And so Monday night or maybe Sunday night, we send the debits over to Silicon Valley Bank and the money is in flight on its way to our account. And so over the course of Wednesday, you know, we're obviously watching Twitter as everyone else does. The conversation internally was like, hey, this looks serious. We need to keep an eye on it. You know, we need to keep a plan to cut over to JP Morgan warm. But, you know, let's see how the situation develops. And so, you know, obviously Wednesday, Wednesday goes, uh, you know, Thursday morning, I think it was around 11 a.m. Parker and I have our regularly scheduled one-on-one. And so as we sit down, you know, he gets a ping or two from the team that he's in touch with. And they're like, hey, this is starting to look really serious. And so I I told him in the moment, like, hey, I I think our warm plan to cut over to JP Morgan probably needs to go into the microwave like right now. And we need to hit the hit the button on um, executing on this. And so he literally instantly decided who is the team that is executing on the migration. We got engineers, product managers together. We identified the engineering leader, Daniel, that would coordinate the effort uh, on the R&D side and you know, made it very clear to them, nothing else matters, only work on this migration. If there is anybody in the company that you need to help you, tell us, we will pull them in immediately. You know, and Slack channels got created. Zooms got set up and the team set to work. You know, even at that point, though, so, you know, this is like Thursday lunchtime. We thought, hey, in the worst case, like Silicon Valley Bank hits some turbulence over the course of the next week or so. It was not yet clear you know, how quickly this would collapse. And I think you know, we, we saw the first bank run at Twitter speed, essentially, you know, last week. And I don't think an animal that anybody really knew how to reason with until they saw it you know, happening live. I want to ask you to pause right, right here really yeah, quickly, yeah. because we're talking about overnight, Wednesday, some whispers on Twitter, Thursday, in a one-on-one, like in your weekly one-on-one with Parker, making a decision that essentially sets up like and defines the next 96 hours that you spend in a really critical way. So I I was talking to some engineering leaders yesterday uh, in one of our peer groups, and all of them are VPs of engineering, heads of engineering. And I was like, hey, you know, coincidentally, this conversation's coming up and we're talking about this. What do you want to know? And every single person was like, how the heck do you get the right people in the room? Like, I want to know the nuts and bolts of how you make the decision in terms of who's going to be owning this. How do you get the right people in the room and make that decision? So can we zoom in on your conversation with Parker? Like, yeah, I think the the main question was, you know, let's start with the key subject matter experts, right? It doesn't make sense until we understand better to like, you know, ring a, a all company fire alarm that gets 1,800 people churning. And so it's really like, what is the core key group that needs to work on this problem together? And it was also about identifying cross-functional experts, right? So some folks in engineering, two or three of our key product managers for payroll. We have an amazing business operations and tax operations team that help just with 
general coordination of challenging situations. Adam Swasiki, our CFO, Keith from our risk department, they owned a lot of the uh, relationship with the JP Morgan team supporting us initially. So you really get this, you know, as small as it can be, but like cross-functional group together as fast as you can. And, you know, on the engineering side, I think we started with maybe about 10 engineers. In our case, there's folks in the US and India that work on the payroll system. And so basically getting folks in both time zones ramped up immediately. And that was critical later too, as we kind of like handed off work around the clock. And so it was like, get not a massive group, but a small group with like the key experts. That is where we started. I was wondering if you can kind of comment on the stakes a little bit, because you'd mentioned like at this point in time, early in the week, starting Sunday, Monday, essentially you had processed like money from people's accounts so that then you could distribute it to pay people's payroll. And so the stakes for, I guess, this Thursday, like, Bring, bring us into like, what are the stakes here? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, looking ahead, essentially, so Friday, it was not a middle of the month or end of the month day. It was just like a Friday. But yeah, you see customers, you know, making bigger payroll payments on Fridays. I think we had about $130 million on the way to employees of our clients. And so, you know, that was the stakes. And, you know, we were looking at the numbers later. This was more than 50,000 people. They are not, you know, rich Silicon Valley tech workers. It's everyday Americans making less than... 55k a year some of them are living paycheck to paycheck and so missing a paycheck can have devastating consequences right like in the worst case it's like you can't make your mortgage payment your account goes into overdraft your checks start bouncing and so we had to move really quickly to make sure these folks got paid basically no matter what happened with svb those were the stakes it's like people that critically needed money just wouldn't get it otherwise okay incredible because i think like the stakes of that are extraordinary it's like it's 100 million plus of payroll going to people that are extremely vulnerable to missing a paycheck and i think it's extraordinary Okay, so we're, we're Thursday, you've got the, the team sort of designated. What happens next? So we're, we're talking Thursday midday. And then I, I, I've read some of like the mythological sort of 530am Parker waking up and realizing like, you know, there are things of continuing to devolve, bring us into like the Thursday to Friday transition, what happened there? Obviously, Thursday through the day, we're still talking to the Silicon Valley bank team. We have no indication that there's going to be a hard stop on Friday. Obviously, the team Thursday, Pacific time through the night, you know, obviously Friday morning for the team in India, everybody's working on being ready to send payments to JPM. But, you know, we, we still have high confidence that, you know, Silicon Valley Bank should be around at least for the next week to continue processing payments. But, you know, we obviously executed on plan B. Wake up Friday morning and... And, you know, we realized that in the last few hours, things have like hard stopped entirely. The astonishing thing there is like the banking system is not designed for the pipes to stop like this. You know, there is money flowing in and out. Uh, you know, there's not a, a nice distributed system where, you know, all parties, you know, retry and reconcile cleanly and data arrives consistently in one place. It is a blizzard of dollars. Some money made it out. Some money didn't. Incoming wires, some were stuck, some were ejected, you know, and it has taken us many days to literally puzzle through that event. And so that's what we woke up to Friday morning is like, wow, this almost unfathomable, like hard stop of the system has occurred. And so, you know, we had to then respond to that, you know, with the bank essentially gone. So yeah, that was kind of like the Friday morning wake up situation. Where were you at? Like, what was your morning like when you were brought into this? I think I woke up around 
maybe around 5, 5.30 or so, and obviously immediately looked at my phone to see the current state. Hadn't gotten much sleep the night before, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is moving even faster, more devastating than we had dreamed it could be in the worst case. Obviously, got the team together immediately. Lots of the plans we were working on had to be accelerated even further. And I think a a key decision that we made at that point was Rippling is going to fund payroll for these folks because, you know, the money on the way to them has stopped and is stuck inside of Silicon Valley Bank. Rippling is going to fund payroll for these folks out of our own capital. Luckily, maybe six months or, or, or more before, we had moved a lot of our own capital that we had raised to JP Morgan and to other accounts. And so we had most of our money actually outside of Silicon Valley Bank, and it was just this money flowing through the system that was trapped, but it was still $100, $130 million uh, stuck in that moment. Okay, so this decision is happening Friday morning, and we're there's still a long way to go to the other end of this, of this <laughs> storm. So bring us in. What, what happens next? Yes, yeah, so some more kind of like details about the banking system, right? So there is essentially like different windows during the day where you can submit payments to be you know paid at a future day, or you know there's also the concept of something called same day ACH, where you can transfer money on the same day. Uh, but the window for that closes pretty early in the day. I think in this case. It was essentially 12.30 p.m. Pacific. As we woke up, you know, five, six, seven o'clock in the morning, it was like, wow, okay, we need to figure out has any money gone out and any money that hasn't made it, we obviously need to then move from Silicon Valley Bank to the JP Morgan uh, system and do this same day transfer. But it took a little while for the team. You know, obviously, at the same moment, customers were writing in, they were saying, hey, you know, we're reading in the news, what's going on? There was this dual track work to be done, where on the one hand, we needed to move ahead with the plan to pay folks out of our own pocket, and on the other hand, communicate back to customers. And so essentially, the, you know, the team subdivided, you know, there were rooms full of people that were just writing comms, right? They were writing tweets, they were responding to customers on live chat, they were responding to customer emails, they were responding to phone calls. And in some cases, it was like one-on-one communication, but ultimately you're trying to get structured communication out as fast as possible without sending out empty or unclear statements either. So it's this very delicate balance. The rest of the company focused on that initiative and the engineers worked on making the same day ACH payments. And you know, when you're moving, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, you want to be very, very careful about it. But at the same time, you it is such pressure and such urgency to hit this window, we basically made it you know, missed it by a, a couple of minutes. You know, we had Adam, our CFO on the phone with JP Morgan, you know, can we get another minute? Can you keep the window open? I think they ultimately extended it to 1245 for us. And then the final file like landed you know, fully in their system at like 1251. And so initially we sat there and we're like, wow, you know, we completely missed the window and like this money is only going to go out on Monday, which again, for many of these folks make a material difference. But then luckily as the the banking machinery kicked into gear, we actually started seeing payments getting made to various major banks uh, later in the day. Some money arrived Saturday, some money arrived on Monday ultimately, but most of it made it out. And we could also confidently tell folks like, hey, it's coming, right? We, we still have to deal with everything else, but at least you can know that your Friday payroll is on the way. That was the morning was just like, you know, recovering from the shutdown and getting the Friday money into people's accounts. So my, my initial reaction hearing this is like, this is like a spy chase scene from a movie, but for engineering, 
it is definitely one of the you know most intense you know kind of like engineering efforts i've been in charge of because it kind of like comes down to one engineer to ultimately send the file but there's also this like these hundreds of people watching them and willing them on you don't want to distract them so the zoom is kind of like deadly quiet you know this one file is the difference between success and failure so yeah it's a it's like a spy movie but there's no explosions it's almost like very low-key and it's like the the quiet impact later of yeah seeing exactly the transition, like the, transition yeah, you know, a few bytes of data moving from system a to system b is the difference between success and failure it's immense pressure down to that one individual like sending the file to the bank and in a time crunch yeah absolutely jerry was talking to me earlier he's he was like i was in payments and so i'm imagining being in this situation and just how extraordinary it was yeah, I've been in payments before started building the community. Uh, was it at Amazon building a global payment system, and then the Groupon initially for internal startup running payments for for everything, and then payments for the Groupon global business. A regular basis, not just in that critical moment. Getting things right is such a important challenge. You must have done a lot of things right, preparing for moments like this, so that the team can execute in great precision very quickly. So I'd like to get into that early investment into the, the ongoing practice so that the team can perform in, in moments like that. You know, some of it was obviously preparation the previous day, right? So in Thursday's work in the afternoon, the evening, and then through the night what was obviously preparing for the ability to make this like very urgent payment on the JP Morgan rails instead of the Silicon Valley Bank rails. Probably the main thing that enabled that was ultimately communication. You want to give engineers working on this kind of like urgent high pressure uh, system, the room to think, right? It needs to be quiet. You can't run the right commands or write the right code, whatever needs to happen. If you're in a noisy environment, in a blizzard, people breathing down your neck. So creating some space, but then also making sure Thursday, Friday, that every single person was working on exactly the right thing in the right order, right? And a lot of that is us talking to the team. Again, as I said, thousands and thousands of Slack messages, making sure we're all on the same page, avoiding like getting getting on a Zoom and like talking as close to in-person as you can get uh, around the planet so that you are 1000% sure that everybody knows what's going on. You know, there's this situational awareness uh, required. Make sure that everybody knows what's going on around them so that as they make local decisions you know, for themselves and we ultimately want to trust the engineers or other folks working on a problem like this to make their own decisions, they need the framework for deciding like clear in their heads, right? And that way you don't have to micromanage every single decision because you know, they can execute autonomously, but you have to communicate the context of how to think about the problem and make that a thousand percent clear. And then you can move much quicker, right? Because a large team can work independently and get a things done in parallel. Two follow-up questions here about those two things, because I think a lot of folks are like almost mechanically, like what are the ways that you connected the dots for those synapses? So the, the first follow-up question is, you know, you talked about making sure that everyone knows like working on the right thing in the right order. How did you determine the right thing in the right order to get to a successful outcome? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think ultimately for us, it came down to what were key, you know, timelines and deadlines by which certain activities had to happen, right? And there was an element of like certain engineers could do certain things. And then finally, there's also the question of like, you know, the timeline, you know, the people, but like making sure that they also know that for us, it was really writing down the plan, right? You can imagine 10 people frantically writing in a Google document, but that ultimately created the clarity for the team to go and execute, right? Because they could always refer back to that. 
And so mechanically, it was just like writing down a little bit, not guaranteeing that everybody would remember everything. And so, you know, externalizing the information from you know, very quick conversations into a, a good old document. And what was very key to is like, you know, action items with people's names next to them. So that when we checked in again, an hour, two hours, five hours later, we could ask that very specific DRI, hey, Shidich, hey, Sriram, have you done X? Have you done Y? And then they can say, I knew I should do X. I did X. X is done. And then we can move on to the next thing. So situational awareness piece. So communicating context of how to think about the problem. Like what did that look like within within this context? Just like a lot of the, uh, you know, talking a lot about the, the the current state of the system, some of it was also getting feedback from the rest of the business on like, hey, what are we hearing from Silicon Valley Bank? What are, you know, we're talking to the JP Morgan team, preparing them. We're trying to avoid double payments. We're trying to avoid through the, the rest of the weekend also, you know, debiting customers, you know, more than once. Some customers sent us wires, like, you know, we, we don't, we want to make sure we incorporate that uh, as we decide when to pay, who to pay, etc. Making sure the, the engineering team actually gets the business context and the broader situation so that they can you know, prioritize the right work to respond to whatever may happen. And it, it, a lot of it was also, you know, backup plans for the backup plans because the situation through the weekend was incredibly dynamic, right? We didn't know on Friday and Saturday, like was Silicon Valley Bank going to even be a thing on Monday? Would we have access to the funds or not? And so there were, in some cases, even engineers working on work streams that we ultimately didn't need because, you know, a certain scenario played out. But, you know, we essentially executed on many of them in parallel to be ready for basically anything. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Okay, so that's, a, I think, a really good transition to talk about a little bit of like this uncertain weekend in which we, we didn't really know what the outcome was going to be until late Sunday. So talk to us about the weekend. You know, Friday ends, there's kind of a certain understanding of like, nothing is moving, we have to figure out an alternative pathway. And for a lot of people, there was then, well, what's going to happen is still like payment not going to happen. And again, the stakes here, I think, are extraordinary. Can you like comment on like the stakes that were going to happen? Friday, we, we make the payments, money is flowing, but we are now looking ahead to the next Wednesday, right, where we essentially need to debit customers Monday, Tuesday, and receive wires for payments that needed to go out on Wednesday. And to give you a sense, the Wednesday payment that well, was close to half a billion dollars, so, you know, so almost 5x the Friday payment. And it was also the challenge that, you know, at that point, while we were able to front the money on Friday, like we would not be able to do that on Wednesday. So, you know, that was a whole nother can of worms that we were grappling with. But we really had to spend the weekend and Monday, Tuesday, making sure that this even, you know, 5x bigger payroll run was successful on the JPM system. And so spent a ton of time on the phone with them, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, calls every day, Adam at JPMs, you know, sorry for having to call you a hundred times, but we made it work. I think the theme of communicating and also you can imagine from the perspective of a team, a, a partner company, right? They are coming into this with even less confidence 
context than the team internally has. And so for them also writing down, hey, XYZ is about to happen. You know, we're seeing you know, this interesting error condition that we need to resolve. The team has this question about a certain part of the system that isn't behaving as expected, etc. Like it was again, writing stuff down, almost over communicating every question, every answer, every action item. And so a lot of Saturday, Sunday was spent getting ready for this even bigger run that was coming down the pipe for Wednesday. So this communication element, I think, is a, is a good way to kind of branch off and, and dive into some more of the internal communication elements that went well. One of the themes that came up in this, this VP of Engineering peer group last night was people don't rise to the occasion, they sink to their level of systems. And so in a moment of crisis, like you default to like your default patterns, because you're not going to invent something new in, in like that extraordinary moment. So obviously something went right to get to this outcome in terms of the level of the systems that were in place here. I was wondering if you talk through some of these periods, like some more of the internal communication structures that were in place, or the habits or like the defaults that were in place that enabled the team to work together so closely, both with just engineering, other stakeholders, other cross-functional partners, what were some of the things that went well there? Yeah, I think, you know, maybe the one thing that's stands out for me was, you know, in a situation like this, I mean, probably obvious, but like your key leaders across the organization rolled up their sleeves and went hands on on communicating and getting things done, right? So working side by side with the rest of their team and also communicating constantly with one another. You imagine this almost like mesh network of folks connected and everybody is talking to everybody. And then at some point, you know, a team has enough clarity coming from their their leader to be able to execute autonomously. And so I think it probably even starts with like a good relationship between the executive team members, right? We trust each other. You know, if someone says something, do something, I don't question it five times, I just go and do it because I know they're probably giving me the right instructions or if they ask me for something, I get it for them as fast as possible because I trust they need it. And then, you know, the next level down to, right, so to directors, managers, you know, senior engineers and, you know, senior folks across the organization, like, you know, there's a lot of trust that has to be built up and down that chain Parker talked a lot about blind passes, right? So the ability to ask someone, do X, and then when they say, I got it, like you don't have to worry again. Some of that trust and again, just like being able to clearly communicate requirements, needs, you know, things that had to get done was absolutely pivotal. And one detail you'd mentioned a little bit that I want to dive deeper into is you have teams working across the world doing this. And so there's an element of handing the work off in certain points. Can you talk a little bit more about what that looked like and some of the challenges and and insights there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think firstly, you know, shout outs to everybody on both coasts, right? People stayed up late and got up really early to make this happen. And I think, again, you see in a situation like this, there is just no replacement for talking live, right? Getting on a Zoom. It's such a bandwidth mechanism for exchanging information, right? You know, you can't do it with even a million Slack messages sometimes. And so, you know, taking the time with our team in India to make sure that we spoke with them live, you know, at least twice a day. Obviously, teams were branching off and doing small team huddles and things as well. And again, every morning, you know, we met at about, you know, somewhere between 7 and 8 a.m. On the West Coast, we'd meet again at around 9 p.m. on the West Coast again. So, you know, as the, the folks in India are waking up, talking live at length, some of these meetings 
meetings went for 90 minutes and we didn't stop until we felt really confident that literally no one in the room had any questions left and could go and execute. And in, I think in a normal situation, on a, a normal day, you probably don't go to that length, right? You say, yeah, we'll take it offline and we'll resolve this later. But in a critical situation like this, there is no later, like you have to resolve it live. And folks can come into the conversation and leave again if it's not pertinent to them, but like, you know, relentlessly pursuing clarity for everyone and then, you know, not stopping until the clarity is firmly achieved. You know, that was absolutely key because nothing is worse than kind of sort of being aligned and then you go to sleep for five hours and you wake up and you're like, wow, we worked on the wrong thing and five hours are gone. That's almost like three or 4% of the total time we had this week lost to miscommunication. I think you know, we avoided that fight by really spending a lot of time just talking to one another. So really, really focusing on clarity. How many people were in these like dual sync meetings? I think we had anywhere, maybe at peak, something like 25, 30. And then in the R&D case was largely, you know, engineers, again, like three key product managers, you know, me, Jeremy, who runs product for us, etc. So yeah, they were like 25 to 30, you know, sometimes they'd go down to like 15, depending on who needed to do what. As we ramped up and people got context, a team could be represented just by their manager or by a tech lead. And so we didn't need everybody in every meeting anymore. But, you know, when in doubt, we always erred on the side of this is a crisis situation, let's err on the side of having everybody in the room so we can quickly make decisions uh, and like resolve questions. Awesome. Okay, so we, we've been kind of exploring the, the weekend. Let's get back into the, the story because there are, I think, are some other big kind of milestone decisions and moments to, to get to a resolution here. So take us back into Sunday going into the beginning of the week. At this point, it was just a lot of, obviously, we are moving a lot of money through a new banking system, a new partner, right? And it's very, you know, these systems like ACH, I think is 40 or 50 years old at this point. Uh, we were chatting to a guy named Michael Holm at JPM this morning, and he made the point that when they designed this system initially, you know, it was like, no news is good news, right? You send a file and if no one phones you to tell you that something bad is going on, it's probably fine. That does not work in payroll. Files get stuck in these systems from time to time. And ultimately, a stock file translates to, again, somebody not getting their paycheck. And so a lot of the work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday through Wednesday was making sure that the new system was working perfectly, right? Setting up more monitoring, more alerting, manual verification by both our engineering team and our operations team. And we basically had them operating independently. Uh, you know, at one point, Parker said, if someone tells you that it's fine and you haven't seen it with your own eyes, right? If you didn't go and see uh, to confirm it, like don't trust them, right? We have to independently verify that the system is working and that the funds are flowing because in the alternative, like we, again, you know, this is a new system. We obviously need to work out the kinks, you know, something will get stuck, which again is not the outcome we're trying to achieve. So let's like double, triple, quadruple checking a lot of the new rails. So we've got all of this verification happening. We've got the new system built, double verifying that everything is processing. The perspective that we haven't really explored quite yet is like, there are tons of people who have questions about what's going on. Will I get paid? Will our, our employees get paid? And so I think the other thing that really stood out to me and Jerry as a customer of Rippling getting the communications was the external communication also was very clear. You guys are very directive with what's happening, why it's happening, and what's going to happen next. Can you talk a little bit about what was that like putting together the external communication strategy? 
So number one was, you know, we obviously knew that we needed to communicate about a lot of things to a lot of customers. And it was, you know, ultimately, I would imagine at peak, like 10, 15 people in a room on the 18th floor of our office, like all working together to write communications. Uh, Stephanie, who heads customer success for us at one point said something like, I think I just spent the entire last day writing three emails, but they were the three perfect, most correct, most detailed emails you possibly could. Uh, so that was one thing is just like getting people together in a room, thinking quickly through all of the scenarios. And I think that was the other challenge for us was inside of the customer base, some people pay us with wire, some people pay us with, you know, ACH, us debiting their accounts, right? Uh, depending on when they sent us money, either didn't reach Silicon Valley Bank or it had reached it and it was stuck. You know, so, so, so many scenarios. And so a lot of work went in, not just with people writing communications, but also pairing them with an engineer team that could quickly serve up for them these different cohorts of customers, right? We'd say, hey, we want these companies that are in situation X with sub-scenario Y, get me the list, let's send them a communication. You want to be very careful too. It's already a stressful, confused situation. If at all possible, you don't want to send the wrong thing to the wrong person. And I think we are largely successful in that. But actually pairing up the communicators with engineers to help them communicate detailed messages to subsets of customers, that was really key. So now here we are and the communications are going out. People understand what's happening. And now, you know, the big things are happening. The payments are processing. When you think back on some of those, those habits pre-crisis, which ones do you like think, like, I'm so thankful that this is how we operated as a standard. Are there any that come to mind? The main one that comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, I'll call it the rippling urgency when something important is going on and something has to happen quickly, and it comes again from Parker all the way down through the leadership team to individual folks at the company, there is this energy to get things done rapidly. And so I, I think by that being kind of like in our DNA, and it's also something I enjoy personally, is just like being efficient, getting stuff done fast, right? It doesn't mean like not double checking your work, but like moving with great speed. That really helped us. An organization that isn't you know, generally kind of urgent on a normal day is going to struggle with being urgent on the worst day, right? And I, and I think a lot of that also corresponds to this idea that like, hey, we want to know an exact the name of a person that's going to do a thing, right? With that comes the ability to get a lot of stuff done versus being kind of like unspecific and saying like, well, someone should maybe kind of sort of do something. It's like, no, clear accountability for someone that is working with urgency I think that's served us incredibly well. I think those are those are two incredible examples. Are there other things that I'm things I'm using as a broad like substitute for like systems, investments, habits, or behaviors that you're thankful for? You know, probably something else that has served us really well through this issue. You know, we again referring back to the the refresh of leadership values another one that i you know alluded to earlier that we are very fond of these days is this idea of we call it rippling leaders go and see which basically means that you know it is the expectation even if you're a vp of engineering a cto vp of design whatever the case may be that you might base a lot of your decisions on your own observations and that you really understand what your team is doing. And so I think in a crisis like this, where you need to very quickly and efficiently communicate direct resources to the right issues in the right order, all of that, like having a very clear mental model of 
your systems, your team, you know, who's good at what, who can take problem X versus problem Y. You gain that by going and seeing inside of your team. You know, over the, the many months leading up to this, right, you read the GitHub pull requests and you look at the Jira tickets and you dive into the customer support issues, right, by knowing what's really going on in your business. In a crisis like this, you can just decide much more quickly. It's something we also heavily emphasize is like in companies or in environments I've interacted with, there's, you know, this kind of like aversion to micromanagement and an aversion sometimes to leaders getting their hands dirty, you know, and going and seeing isn't about micromanaging on a day-to-day basis. It's more just about knowing what the details are. And so I think that again served us very well, where as someone that had to work with the team to direct resources, you know, along with other engineering and product leaders, the fact that we have been going and seeing over time was incredibly helpful. Absolutely. So here we are. Today's Friday, seven days after all of the payments stopped to, I think, I guess, close off the this chapter of the story, because I imagine there's still many things that are occurring. Talk to us about the impact of all of this effort now externally to the, the customers that you serve and support internally on the team and the current state of rippling. I think externally, everybody got paid, you know, one or two paychecks maybe arrived a little late, but everybody got paid on time uh, over the last few days, especially. And so we're incredibly proud, even through a entire bank disappearing on us, like, you know, we made that happen. So incredibly proud of that. I think it's been incredible to see the support from our customers uh, in the wake of this uh, situation, right? And I, I think we won that support through incredible communication, right? We've been reading uh, a lot of messages. Some of them are almost like brought a tear to my eye of like folks telling us like, hey, because of how you handled, you know, the last week, like we are customers for life. And so, you know, that's the the kind of reference that just can't be beat. And so that was absolutely incredible. And we feel like really proud of the fact that we were able to get that response, you know, even during a, a very tough situation like this. And then I think internally, everyone is tired. They're exhausted. I think we're looking ahead to this weekend for, you know, a, a short a break or a nap or something. But I feel like that the team has been bonded even more than ever before by going through this very intense challenge and like coming out the other side. I think, you know, we've been kind of like bonded by this incredibly hard work that we did. You know, we're operating in the right way before, but I think this has cemented a, a certain set of like patterns or behaviors that we will reinforce even further. And I think it is a going to be a key part of the rippling lore in the years to come. Having the privilege to build the mythology of the company in this way and to have like this type of story is such a such a powerful and heroic journey for you and for everybody at Rippling and everything that you did. So incredible. Yeah, I'm personally just like really, I feel almost honored in some way that I could have played a small part of it, right? I think it'll be, you know, a story everyone tells their kids one day. Absolutely. Well, Albert, one of the traditions that we typically plan for to to close off our conversations are some rapid fire questions. So if you're ready to send off the community here with a a couple non-crisis oriented questions, uh, we can jump on in. Yeah, let's go. All right. What are you reading or listening to right now? Uh, I haven't uh, listened to much recently, but you know, over there on the shelf, I have Scaling People um, that just came out. So very excited about that book. Anyway, I think it is ultimately a book about kind of like building a team and building the kinds of like processes and like ways of operating that can allow you to weather a crisis like this. So yeah, Scaling People is coming next. Actually really enjoyed in the past Systems of Engineering Management by Will Larson. It actually seems like the Stripe folks are generally good at putting out useful books for engineering leadership. So, <laughs> Fantastic. What's a tool or methodology that's had a big impact on you? 
maybe something that I that I learned at Segment from Calvin French Owen, and I think it ties into this idea of urgency, was just the idea that we would do a weekly demo, whether it was a piece of backend code or a new button in the front end or even a document we wrote. We would, as a team, get together on a weekly basis and show that to one another. And, you know, it's something we're doing more and more at Rippling now as well. I think it creates some urgency with the team. It creates some accountability, you know, makes you feel good after a hard week looking back at what you accomplished and almost allows you to frame the week ahead. And so I think that kind of like tight feedback loop way of operating is something I've really enjoyed over the last, I don't know, five, six years. Two more questions. What's a trend that you are seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? It's probably hit the mainstream, but I am certainly taking a close look at large language models right now. They are both scary and exciting, and I think they're going to transform the entire software industry and probably you know the world. So yeah, I think if you are not paying super close attention to what you know is happening in that space right now, you're going to make a big mistake in the very near future. And I think maybe to the point of like bank runs at Twitter speed, I, I think people are potentially still underestimating how quickly this is going to change our world. So yeah, that is my trend that I'm spending 100% of my you know trend watching cycles on. I think the speed acknowledgement is so true. And I think especially in the right now, like the bank run at the speed of Twitter element, was nobody was prepared for that speed. Well, I guess people yep. kind of were. I the response was relatively yeah, yeah. quick. I, I think we're we're you know we're learning, but it's almost like every day it's even faster. We have to get ready. Uh, it's not slowing down. I'll say that. Final question to send us off: Is there a quote or a mantra that's been really resonating with you right now? I guess something I've been talking to the team about in the last while is this idea of, you know, making stone soup together. If you're familiar with that story, you know, I originally read about it in the Pragmatic Programmer about 20 years ago. So this idea, these couple of travelers, they arrive in a foreign village and they're trying to build a, you know, like a trust relationship with the villagers. You know, they boil a a stone in a, a pot of water. Eventually, they get the villagers to contribute some vegetables, and you know they eventually all have a hearty meal together. And so, this idea of making stone soup and kind of like building trust relationships and collaborating, you know, in kind of like a kind, thoughtful, happy manner. I'm thinking about that a lot, and I, I think everybody contributing their little piece of the bigger solution was key to us surviving this challenge, and you know, is key to how we'll be building a lot of exciting new products in the future as well. So, yeah, stone soup all day every day fantastic albert an extraordinary moment and an extraordinary effort from you and from everybody at rippling we're talking 600 million plus dollars of payroll seven days to figure it all out and at the end result everybody getting their paycheck so thank you for taking the time to break down the story to share the inner workings of what was going on and the the lessons that occurred we really appreciate it this is a ton of fun Yeah, thanks, Patrick. It was really fun telling the story. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.